This morning, the title of the sermon is Coming Home. Coming Home. All of us have probably lost something. And uh, I know that Daniel and Jody are always nervous when we give Tate the mic. And so I could see them back there. I'll see their faces. I remember that with my son Dave. So, yeah, those moments. So, anyway. All of us have probably lost something, and you're going to be very familiar with the passage that we're going to read, and Chris Self made reference to Luke, the 15th chapter. So that's where we're going to go is Luke 15 and uh, talk about perhaps those things which are lost. And I want to ask you a question before we get to Luke 15. It's a question that I feel a responsibility, uh, Tyler and I both do, to, to ask that question from time to time, just look you in the face and, and ask, are you lost? Are you without Christ today? I hope that if you can answer that honestly and say, you know, I, I think that I am. I, I pray today that you'll get found. And uh, so let's look at Luke 15. Uh, I started to just use one of the parables, but they're all tied together in the context of what Jesus is saying, even when he addresses the Pharisees and the scribes in the story. And so it is made up of three different parables. It is about the lost sheep. It is about a lost coin, which both are linked to the parable commonly known as the prodigal son. Um, but I want to suggest to you that actually this parable is all about two sons. Both were prodigals, two lost sons. And so these other stories point to that. Uh, one son was lost to his father in body. We know that he left and took off. He went away in waywardness. But then the other one... Although he stayed home, he still was lost. He didn't have a relationship. So that's where we're going to go. I'm going to read a few verses. We're going to stop and talk about it. But I want to read the entire chapter 15. So I'm going to begin reading there in verse 1 in Luke 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man, talking about Jesus, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now let's just stop right there for a moment. Get the context. They're watching. They're seeing Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. They hated the tax collectors because they were tied in with the Roman soldiers and paying taxes and so forth. And so, again, remind you that the Pharisees and the scribes, they're the religious folks. They're folks who are going to church and trying to keep the and so uh, that's the scene, and then they kind of question, why is Jesus talking to all these sinners? And so Jesus then says, I'm going to share with you three parables, verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and he's rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and saying to them, Rejoice, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Then Jesus said, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance, or at least in this case, who think they don't. There'd be more joy in heaven over one sinner. Most of you probably have lost a pet before. You probably lost a cat or a dog or something, or your boa constrictor, those of you who keep those as pets. And you wanted to find it. 
You found joy in finding it. And usually if you do lose a pet, you've probably told your neighbors and so forth. And you find it, you're excited about just finding a pet. Call everybody and tell them and rejoice. And then he gives us this description and to share with us the understanding that if one sinner comes who repents, there will be rejoicing in heaven. The next scene, verse 8. He tells another parable. He says, or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, she does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which was lost. Likewise, Jesus said, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You probably lost something of value. I'll go back to that wedding ring. Benny, Lana lost the wedding ring that I bought a few years ago. We were actually at a wedding when she lost it. That's ironic. We were in Birmingham at Church 180, and Pastor Troy Walker was getting married. This was last fall. And we're sitting in the wedding. We're there early to visit and see people. It's about 20 minutes till, and she realizes, I've lost the ring. Her and Audra, they panicked, and so they went ahead and went outside to go back. You know, she looked in all her clothing and everything. And uh, she goes outside, and she found it in the parking lot. It was laying in the parking lot right beside the car. There it was. Well, let me tell you, they came in, and we were all rejoicing. I was shouting because that thing cost a lot of money. We found it. There's joy. The Bible's given us an illustration here. There's great joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and comes home. Then he, then he ties it in with humans. And so Jesus goes on to tell this other parable. Then he said a certain man had two boys. Could have been a parable with a mom and two daughters. Two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed pigs, feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods, in other words, the slop that the pigs were eating, he would have gladly had that, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, that is a critical moment in every human life if they want to turn to the Father. But when he came to himself, that revelatory moment when the Spirit of God reveals to you there's something better than this. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and to spare, and I'm perishing with hunger. I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. In other words, he's practicing repentance, because that's a part of it. Does he use the word repent, but he's acting it out. I have sinned. Verse 19, and I no longer am worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose and he came to his father, but he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your side, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But 
The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to be merry, have a party. Joy broke out. Again, the parable ties in with the first two. And so we see the picture of this farmer who probably been looking for his son to come home, hoping that he would, probably looking down the road and don't know if months had gone by or perhaps years. And he saw and maybe saw the dust clicking up behind somebody coming down the road. Looked a little closer. That's my son. That's my boy. So he has compassion. And he goes and runs and picks him up and hugs him and kisses him. He's so excited. And then the son with that repentant heart, Father, I'm a sinner. I don't even deserve to. That repentant heart is there. Put the robe on him. We're going to have a party. My son was lost. And now he's found. In the same scene, we'll go back to verse 25. The older son was in the field. See, he didn't leave home. He's still at home. And as he came and he drew near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your, bro your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. He wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he, he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I never transgress your commandment at any time. Now, I figure that's not the truth. But he said in his mind, he thought he was good enough that I'd never transgress your commandment at any time, and, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this, he didn't call him his brother, he said, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for it. Listen to the response of the dad. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. See, the Pharisees and the scribes were part of the Jewish people. You've always been with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and he's found. There are several things that are key to the same in all three of these parables. One is the word lost. It's a key understanding in all three parables. Something was lost. Repentance is taught in all three. Specifically in the first two, to give the understanding, Jesus said there was one who repented in all joy in heaven over one who repents. And then the other one, we get the illustration that he actually acts it out. There's one who was lost but repents and comes home and the father's excited and there's a party. So repentance is taught in all three. The other is the word found. That's emphasized in all three. I asked you earlier, are you lost? Have you ever turned to Jesus and repented of your sinfulness? It's essential. Luke sets the scene by describing how the Pharisees and the scribes are offended by Jesus' association with people who are, in their opinion, religious outcasts. These sinners were not the type of people righteous Pharisees and scribes would want to include in their fellowship. The term sinner here describes those who do not keep the religious 
ceremonies dictated by the rabbis. Now, this is important. I want you to hear this. Jesus welcomed the sinners. He received them, but what he truly welcomed was their repentance, not their sin. We're not supposed to be sinning. Jesus knew, though, that the only way that he could deal with the sin is if one would be found and repent of that. Repentance is admitting that I am a sinner, but in that repentance we talk about turning, and what we must turn to is turn to Christ. When you and I truly enter into repentance, we'll always end up at the cross because he's the only one that can deal with the matter. So repentance is not only saying that I'm sorry for my sins because a lot of times people are sorry that they got caught. But when you admit you're a sinner, you know the only one that can take care of it. You've got to go to the cross. That's involved in repentance. And so Jesus welcomes that. The Bible makes it clear that repentance is an urgent necessity. In Luke 13, it's two chapters before what we read today in Luke 15. In Luke 13, Jesus makes this statement twice. He said, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I also want to remind you, and I know I preached on this and made reference to it a good bit, uh, probably over the last 10 years, but uh, in the book of Revelation, there are seven letters. You can go read all seven. They're in chapter 2 of Revelation and Revelation 3. There are seven letters written to the churches. What if Jesus decided to write a letter about us here at our church? What if he decided to write a letter about you and let you read it? I don't know. But I do know that in those seven letters, there are three things that are very important. One of them, if you go back and read them, Revelation 2 and 3, every letter opens up with, I know you. I figure if he wrote a letter to you, he could probably say, I know you. I know your works. And then in those letters, he tells some of the things that they've been doing. I know you. I think would be included in my letter and your letter. He also includes the word repent in five out of seven of the letters, specifically to the church, the understanding of repentance. And I think if you read them all, you'll find out in those other two it's implied that you didn't get to where you were without some repentance. I think it would probably include that in the letter that we'd get. Don't understand the art and the understanding of repentance. The other thing is every letter ends with this same statement. Let him or her who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit has to say. I think he would include that in our letter. We're supposed to be listening to what the Spirit has to say. All seven letters deal with those things. Jesus teaches one particular substantial truth about repentance in this parable, Luke 15, that I want to point out this morning. There are many things, but one of them is this. What is it that pleases God? What makes God happy? We see in this that God is filled with joy when a person who knows they are cursed in his sight turns to him and asks for forgiveness. Repentance, I believe, brings joy to the Lord. And, and according to this, all of heaven, angels break out. Can you see angels giving each other a high five every time somebody gets saved? Or doing chest bumps? Boom. Or how many of you have been involved in sports of some kind and you, at the end of the game you had this big pile on? I've, I've done that. 
down in the end zone pile up. You've won the game. And the Cubs, I'm going to be excited when the Cubs win the whole thing this year. I'm, y'all are pulling for the Cubs. But the National League pennant's going on, and the Cubs did win last night. And the American League, and I guarantee it, when they win it, whoever wins it, there'll be a pile up. There'll be so much excitement and so much joy. Whoever wins the national championship this year, I guarantee it, there'll be some hugs and high fives, and there'll be so much joy. And then we were given this visual. And I, again, I, I don't know if angels give each other a high five. I just, but, but they're, they're, they're excited about something. And their excitement in some way, there's some joy there over one sinner who repents. Oh, in the church, we ought to be excited. Excited when somebody gets saved. They once were lost, but now they're found. So there's a great joy that breaks out. I ran across the following statement, and I want to share it with you. It was by a preacher in a sermon. I've never seen the movie, but he described it this way. Many years ago, there was a B-class movie called The Henderson Monster. I've never seen it. But he said it was a terrible movie, so we don't recommend it. It was a terrible movie, but it had one really good line. Here's the one line. Most noble motivations. Most noble motivations will not tolerate close inspection. Most notable motivations will not tolerate close inspection. Well, what's that got to do with Luke 15? You see the Pharisees and the scribes were trusting in themselves that somehow they could be religious enough to get in. Brothers and sisters, it's not about it's not about ritual. It's about relationship. That's what God rejoices over. The ones come to, don't trust in your religiousness. I know we preachers say this, but I'm in a Methodist church. I know we've got Presbyterians, we've got Catholic, Baptist background, different mixture, Church of God, Assembly of God, but don't trust in any denomination. Trust in Christ. Christ alone. We don't trust that we're Methodists, even though we go through confirmation class. I tell those kids that you're going through a class and we should teach you this, but our point of teaching confirmation is that you make a decision for Jesus Christ. Are you trusting your salvation because you went through a confirmation class? I tell you don't. You must repent of your sins and you must trust Christ and Christ alone. It's not about ritual. It's about relationship. That's why he rejoices. That's why he asks us to come. All the good intentions and the motivations that we might do, if we, if, if we put them under the God's microscope of whatever motivations and intentions and great ritual that we might do, if we put it and put it under the microscope of God and let him examine your life, all your good intentions and all your noble motivations would not match up to the inspection of his holiness. Therefore, a person's right standing in the sight of God rests solely in repentance. Two sons lost to the father's love. One was lost in body, but the other one was lost in heart and mind. They are confronted anew by their father's unlimited love and acceptance, but only one chooses to repent and experience it. 
So you can be Mr. Goody Two-Shoes or you can be Mr. Waste of Space. Either way, the rewards of eternity are wholly on the basis of God's free grace through repentance. Some of you have been on vacation. You'll understand this illustration. And You know, if you go on a vacation, you'll be gone for a while. But how many of us said, when you pull up into the driveway and you, and you sit back and you're lazy boy, it sure is good to be home. We understand that. I tell you, when we got Dave out of uh, Coosa Valley Health Care, he's in there 83 days. He wanted to come home. I've had many, many a person in the hospital or a health care facility say that with genuine, you could see the tears in their eyes. I just want to go home. There's something about going home. Several years ago, a preacher by the name of Doc Shell, he was a United Methodist pastor, went to Asbury Seminary, but he's started an independent church probably over 40 years ago. Doc and I became friends when I was up at Crossville. He preached a couple of revivals there. And, and then he grew up in Skurum United Methodist Church. Skurum is, is kind of a suburb of Geraldine and Dawson and Crossville. Yeah, big place. He grew up in Skurum Methodist Church. And he and I have done some funerals there together with some family friends. And his sister and brother-in-law gave me a sermon about 12 years ago. And the title of it was, the prodigals are coming home. The prodigals are coming home. You may have a grandson, a granddaughter. You may have somebody in your family. And they're lost. I heard that sermon. I listened to it probably 10, 12, 15 times. And, and I, I've used part of what Doc shared in that sermon, today's sermon. One is that moment that it says that the prodigal came to himself. You may need to pray for your prodigal that they'll come to that moment that the Holy Spirit will give them that revelation that they come to themselves. Also, the other thing is to pray into that, that that prodigal, whoever it may be, and you're interceding for them, is that they'll come to that place and repent. You see, that's what happened to that prodigal. He, he realized, I'm going to go back to Abba. I'm going to go back to my father. But I'm a sinner. He said that. You and I have to come to that place. Again, that's revelation of God's Spirit to come to that place that he came to himself, but he also came to the point of repentance and said, I'm not worthy to be called a son. And then we see the, the father who has welcomed him to come home. He was so excited. My boys, come home. Are you lost? Do you want to come home? I got good news. You can come home. Great joy. Joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and decides to come home. Let's pray together. God, we praise you this morning. Thank you, God, for your word. Lord, I, I pray that perhaps someone here this, this day, even in this service, maybe they realize, you know, I, I'm lost. Oh, God, please give them that revelation that they can come home. They can repent and they can come home. Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming us. Perhaps you're praying for a prodigal. Might be a nephew or a niece. Keep praying for them. Pray that they will come to themselves 
and that they will come to the place of repentance. God bless your time right now as we respond to your word, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to come this morning. You may come because you're lost. Uh, Tyler and I would love to.